also quiet tonight. Feel a little disoriented. Of course, we've been meditating, so, but normally it's a, there's like an eruption at the end of the sitting, so. Day is the day after Day of the Dead. So I always like to remember the people who have passed away, people we know who are near and dear to us, or any of you who have lost parents, lost dear friends. Has anyone in here not lost someone near and dear? Isn't that amazing? It's not amazing, it's how it is. I was thinking tonight during the sitting that uh, what, we re- what I remember about people, I certainly don't remember how much money they made. I don't remember their accomplishments. I don't remember their, how they compared to anyone else. What I remember is I can't even put it in words so well, but it's their, their, their essence, their suchness, their, their individuality, their uniqueness. And that is, and each person has that. And, you know, as I thought of the different people, I thought of my grandmother, who now, I think she died in 1997, a few months short of her 105th birthday. And she worked seven days a week until her 104th birthday, until she started uh, losing her short-term memory. And when I went to see her at, a, at age 104, I went along with my, my wife, Annie, and she, she punched my wife, Annie, in the arm and, and, kept, and said, about me, she says, you got a good one. <laughs> but then she proceeded to do it 50 times. <laughs> she couldn't remember it, she had just done it. But even, at, even having lost her short-term memory, she had that essence. She, she was just so much herself. She was a, a Russian immigrant, about four foot seven, eight or nine, got shorter as she went along. Uh, but such an essence, and I just felt her strength when I thought of her. Uh, I thought of my father, and I thought of Javier, a member of our Sangha who recently passed away, and just felt his brightness and spirit and his goodness and urgency and, you know, so many qualities about him. And, you know, I think of us as a, I think of all human beings as, where I think Rumi, I'll see if I can find it on my phone later, but Rumi said something that we're all walking ourselves to the end or something. We're, we're all walking each other to the end. Let's see if I can find this so I don't um, ruin a, a good Rumi quote. We are all just walking each other home. And I always 
talk about, and the teachings often talk about keeping good company. And I think of all the people I've been around in my life as being, the, as my company, as people who are all walking me home toward that inevitable passing. And the people I think of, what I think of is their, is their essence. People who are all walking with me, and all of you walking with me. And, you're, and the, the teachings point to how to, how to be that company that helps walk people home. And the, first, the idea of keeping good company. Tune into who it is that you're walking this path with, this life path in general, and if you associate yourself with having a spiritual path, a path of awakening, who are you walking with that? And, and how can you be someone who is good company? Your, of course, the teachings say, tell the truth, be authentic, uh, speak harmoniously, be present with one another. Be supportive. Be helpful. It would be so great if we woke up every day and thought about how to be good company for the day. You know, I shouldn't even have to say these things. But for some reason, human beings also, and I think maybe somewhat culturally dependent, we've gotten so bound up in not just our uniqueness, our individuality, but individualism, about being able to be free to do our own thing. And then making individualism the, the, the paramount goal of our life, and where then the community and that company that we keep and how we are with each other becomes almost the antithesis of and even a, a threat to our um, individuality. When in fact, it's when we give ourselves over to community, to those who are walking us home, that we find our individuality, we find our uniqueness. We may give up individualism, you know, all about me, but we find our individuality. We find a kind of strength in the, in the generous support that we receive and offer. And we, we find our, our own unique flavor. That often when we're caught in our individualism, we're, we're just all alone. Our relationships suffer. We, there's so much divorce because everybody's out doing their own thing the sense of community, the sense of those walking us home, it just gets lost in the shuffle. And very, I think it's a little rare to even think about how, how I can be good company. I have a passage that I share often from, from Reggie Ray, who referred to the teachings of of a, an African man named Maladoma Somme, where he talks about, this is a, a talk about 
community and about emotions and the way that we feel. But I think it also captures the spirit of what of this excessive individualism. So I thought I'd read it anyway, even though it's not simply about um, being good company. As we have seen, our modern disembodiment means that people live largely within a conceptual world of their own making, attempting to handle experiences by fitting them into a continuous conceptual narrative of their I or ego. As noted, the more disembodied we are, the more strident and compulsive this incessant narrative becomes. In addition, the more disembodied we are, the more isolated and discontented we are, not just from our emotions, but from a feeling of connection with other people and the larger world. Our disconnection and isolation are reflected in the high degree of personalism, everything is about me or narcissism, individualism, I'm a free agent with no inherent ties or obligations to anyone or anything, found in modern societies. The personalism and individualism that mark modern people is, in other words, a direct function of their disembodiment. It appears to be true that emotions seem especially overwhelming and frightening for us modern people because of our overly disembodied individualistic and personalistic understanding of them. In other cultures, emotions are often understood within a much larger, less individualistic context. For example, Maladoma Somme speaks of emotions within a different, more transcendent frame of reference. Maladoma says that when someone in his village is taken over by a strong emotion, the entire village attends to that person. The reason is that for the Dagara people of Maladoma's homeland, Strong emotion is never about one person alone, but rather the village community itself. In his or her highly charged emotional state, a certain person is understood to be giving birth to something that the entire village needs to know and needs to address. Beyond this, emotion is considered one of the primary ways that the unseen or other world of the ancestors the transcendent source of life, well-being, and wisdom transmits needed life-giving information uh, to the human community. So this, this uh, Dagara people, as many people throughout the world, have not lost this sense of community, this sense that we're, we're just not alone we're not the one wave that's gotten separated from the ocean, that we are very much part of a fabric of, of being. And interestingly enough, the, the, the direct intention of, awake, of meditation practice in particular is to see through the illusion of a separate individual. It's not to say that you don't exist or I don't exist, but to begin to recognize that, that there really is no element in us, ultimately. There is no part of us that exists completely independently from everything and everyone else. And so the whole point of seeing through the self-illusion is seeing through the illusion of other. Because as soon as I am, I am only myself, then you are other and the the biggest one of the biggest causes the greatest causes of isolation 
and conflict is that what we call othering. They do it. It's their fault. It's, it's, it's not me. And our mind, that narrative, that disembodied view that rolls through our mind is continually making a case where I am over here, you're over there, and you are the cause, or others are the cause, of my unhappiness. And so our thinking mind is constantly reinforcing the sense of separateness. And of course, once we're quiet for even just a few moments, the sense of separateness, once that little thought of me and mine, of I, just even for one moment quiets, after the last one passes and before the next one comes, all the divide between us, at least experientially, or at least the essence of our experience, all the divides melt away. You can't even say each other in that moment. It's just... just a sense of what is called tata or suchness. Just the isness of us being together. And if we lose that sense of isness or suchness where we all join, where we're not so separate, if we lose that, then we, we walk around the view that, you know, I'm only, I'm only for me. Who was it, Rabbi Hillel, who says, if I'm, if I'm not for me, who will be for me? But if I'm only for me, who am I? Or what am I? have to have that combination of, of our individual uniqueness and a sense of our place in relationship to our community. Another frequently read passage from Thich Nhat Hanh, You are me and I am you. Isn't it obvious that we enter our... You cultivate the flower in yourself so that I will be beautiful. I transform the garbage in myself so that you will not have to suffer. I support you, you support me. This is, to me, the definition of, of generosity. Is this mutual, this mutual appreciation of our connection. I support you, you support me. I am in this world to offer you peace. You are in this world to bring me joy. Love that. And D.H. Lawrence, who said, Oh, what a catastrophe. What maiming of love when it was made a personal, merely personal feeling taken away from the rising and setting of the sun and cut off from the magic connection of the solstice and equinox. This is what is the matter with us. We're bleeding at the roots because we are cut off from the earth and sun and stars and love is a grinning mockery because poor blossom, we plucked it from its stem and the tree of life and expected it to keep on blooming in our civilized vase on the table. So our practice at, at becoming good company well, of course, it starts with 
with considering what it is to be good company. All those things I mentioned before, kind and caring and supportive and authentic and harmonious and helpful and all of those things. But these qualities, this, the, the goodness in us, the noble qualities in us, they spring naturally from a direct experience of our, of our interbeing, from our connection with each other. So I can be off in the stress of my mind, the stress of what I have to do, I have to get done, my multitasking, my microtasking, whatever it is that I'm, I'm involved in. But if in one moment I wake up and realize what I'm doing, I notice, oh, I'm sitting in the room with you right now. Or I'm washing the dishes or whatever I might be doing. All of a sudden, my lens widens. I feel that I'm connected to the world around me again. Now, where did I go? I went nowhere, but my mind went into this little narrow vortex of stress, of isolation, of individualism. All about me. All about me getting somewhere, getting things done. All about me moving through time. And what's missed in it is the timeless, the deathless of, of immediacy. So how can I be how can I be the best company? How can I realize that that urge, that urgency to be the best company is by waking up to my connection every minute if I can. Not letting myself ever be separated from that sacred unity that I am. You know that prayer that I often do at the end of it when we do the sharing of the blessings and in the Tibetan tradition they there's, a, there's four lines, and I, you know, I make up different versions of it, but the first one is, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness when we're sharing the blessings and we're wishing that. May all beings have happiness and the cause of happiness. And the, the traditional recitation is at the end of that, the cause of happiness, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness, which is virtue, which is always connected to how it is that we, we connect and react and relate to each other. And then the second one that I always abbreviate, may all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. The traditional version is, may all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering, which, are, which is non-virtue. When we don't act in ways that are kind, loving, supportive, truthful, helpful, all that, we suffer. We enter, we, we get stressed when we're caught up in our individual internal drama. We lose a sense of our body connected to the elements, the earth, air, fire, water, to the sun, to the stars, to the equinox. But all of that comes back when I wake up. So then the, the third one is, May all beings never be separated, never be separated from the sacred happiness 
which is without sorrow, sorrowless, here and now. I always add the here and now. But never be separated from the sacred happiness that is without sorrow. The sacred happiness that is without sorrow is your own present wakefulness. Any moment that you're not bound up in the idea of yourself as a sufferer. Any of you get bound up today in the idea of yourself as a sufferer? I always have to check out whether this is just a teaching or whether you actually connect with that sense of being the sufferer. Now, how do you know that you're the sufferer? Ever. Now, you could say generally, oh, because I suffer. But how do you know that, you, how do you know that you're the sufferer? Don't you have to rely on your memory? Don't you have to rely on your projection from the past, of what happened in the past, projection on what you think might happen in the future? Don't you, it, doesn't it depend on ideas? So when those ideas of past and future, the ideas of myself are suspended for a moment, and you're just here, there is a, there's a secret, sometimes called an open secret, that there is almost, there is available to every single one of us without even trying our birthright. There is within us a natural peace and ease that is the natural peace and ease of our nature. And when I'm in touch with that, and maybe when you're in touch with that sense of I'm here, I'm whole, then I, I don't want to ever be separated from this, and I don't want anyone else to be separated from that. I want to shout it from the hilltops. Don't, don't go out of your, don't go out of yourself in search. Come home. Notice that you're here. Let your lens widen. Notice that you're so, want to wake up everybody up. Notice that you're so intimately connected to everything around you while you're busy being thirsty. Was it? Oh, how I laugh when I hear that the fish in the water is thirsty from Kabir. Somebody else just fed me a new line. There's a basket of fresh bread. Uh, there's a basket of fresh bread on your head, yet you go door to door asking for crusts. So that third line: Never be. May I never. May all beings never be separated from the sacred happiness that's without sorrow. And then the last one: Knowing that not everyone is is uh, we're not always in touch with that. And there are so many challenges that present themselves to our tender hearts, our fragile nervous systems, that the, the last prayer is, may, 
May all beings grow in equanimity, in serenity, able to meet the joys and the sorrows of this, the inevitable joys and sorrows of this life with, with less reactivity. So we have to, in the span of our life, both grow in, in all those wholesome qualities, those boundless qualities that, that we have within our hearts to, to grow in, of love, of loving kindness, of compassion, of joy. But we also have to balance those, those big qualities with the, the biggest quality, maybe the most important rudder for all the qualities in our hearts, the quality of equanimity. So a lot of the training for being good company is uh, the training of the heart to, to continue to think in our minds and to incline every day from the moment you wake up till the moment you go to bed, to incline toward, um, toward joining toward connecting. One of the ways that we melt away that sense of separation is by joining, wishing others well. Maybe for the next week, one of your ways of joining will be to, if you're willing to do this, I'd love to check in about it, do a little stealth, what, we, what I call stealth metta, stealth loving kindness, where as many times as you can remember during the day, Wherever you are, whether you're in your office, whether you're just alone, whether you are in a crowd of people, that you are, that you are keeping others in mind. You're wishing people well. Under your breath, may you be happy, may you be happy, may you be happy, may you be happy. May I be a benefit to you. I forgive you. You know, whatever it is that helps you join, helps you melt away that, that tight fist of resentment and grasping and, and, um, and meanness that turns into meanness if we get too bound up in our individuality. Whatever helps melt away that sense of separateness. And whatever, whoever your particular, you may not start with your most particular, the person that you have a most difficult time feeling connected to, but start with an easy person. If you're doing it alone, bring to mind someone who you easily feel loving kindness for, so that you can at least connect with that feeling of, of friendliness and good wishes. And we often call the, tradi- the, the way we start loving kindness is we pick what's called a, a person who we call a benefactor, someone who, who we have a lot of respect for, somebody who has helped us uh, financially, spiritually, emotionally, whatever way, and someone who we just feel a lot of good-heartedness toward. And we just hold them in our heart. We wish them well. So that wouldn't be so much, that would be more the formal kind of loving kindness. But while you're at it, when you're out and about, do the stealth kind too. So that there's no moment that you're not generating that, that heart of 
of kindness. And then the second element of the growing in these boundless qualities is to open your eyes to the pain that's all around you. Don't hide out. Don't turn your attention away from what's painful. Turn toward it and wish whoever it is that you see that's straining or struggling, suffering, even the one who's really angry and driving everyone crazy, they're in pain. Wish for them that they be free of suffering. Not that they get lost and die. <laughs> May you be free of suffering. Just see the different effect on your heart when you wish someone to be free of suffering or when you wish for them to die and get lost. It's so tempting. It's so, there's something so juicy and compelling about making a case against someone. But in the long run, it just makes your heart shrivel, get tight, and feel more isolated and separated. So these are things we can do all day long. Just join with pain, join with, 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 with friendliness to other people. And then this is something that may be the hardest thing for human beings to do. Tune into somebody that's really happy and join with them in their happiness. Of all those boundless qualities that the Buddha talked about, love, compassion, joy, and equanimity, the most challenging one to cultivate is what's called a sympathetic joy, joining with others in their happiness and good fortune. And if you don't see somebody that's happy, happy, think of somebody in your life who's happy, who's having a great life, and see if you can join with it, not in a kind of uh, sycophant, is that the right word? Not in a kind of, I want to be close to you because you're happy, but because you're happy for them. I'm happy, the traditional recitation is, uh, is may your happiness um, continue, may your happiness increase, may your happiness never wane. Or the shorthand version is, I'm happy that you're happy. Try to say that several times to the happiest person that you see or know. And it's amazing what that can do to your heart. It will also show you all manner of, of envy, jealousy, <laughs> comparing. And that's why we do it. It purifies. It, it brings to the surface and then hopefully liberates, purifies all that tendency to shrink and contract, which is often the, the fruit of the comparing mind. is It's just so diminishing. So what would you rather do? Would you rather incline toward joy or would you rather be caught in a comparing narrative? Always getting, as, as I think it was Rumi who says, always getting smaller, checkmate this, checkmate that. He says... He says, you own, he says, live in the nowhere where you came from, even though you have an address here, I'm so and so. He says, you have eyes that see from that nowhere, and you have eyes that are always judging distances, how high, how low. You own two shops, and you're always running back and forth. He says, try to close the one that's a fearful trap, always getting smaller. Checkmate this, checkmate that. 
Keep open the one where you're not selling fish hooks anymore. You're the free swimming fish. So wouldn't you rather connect with others in their joy, connect with others in their pain, than shrink into fear and dullness, distraction? It's a no-brainer, but it doesn't just happen. You've got to do it. You have to incline your heart and mind every day. Occasionally I've been in this little pattern of jotting notes down in the morning, you know, making little notes, just kind of writing down the bones. And it's amazing just getting into a little discipline of writing something, whatever's on my mind. It just opens up the the channel of, of our deep intentions because our nature really wants to be free and happy and express itself in the best way that we can as a human being. So it's, it's a certain way that it's giving ourselves the attention, enough attention to see that what we most long for is to feel connected, is to join, is to be good company and be around good company. Of course, that's why we gather in a community like this is to because it's, there's something, when a community gathers together for the purpose of waking up, there's, it's sweet. It's a little breath of, it's like a breath of fresh air. And at least it is for me, in a really contracted, fearful, angry, aggressive world. And yet that, that, Inclination toward love and connection is always, no matter where you are, a split second away. You can't blame it on San Francisco. (laughs) You can't blame it on the U.S. or our culture. You know, we make so many excuses saying, oh, that's the way our culture is. I mean, we do have these cultural patterns. But every person at every moment has the opportunity to wake up out of this cultural trance and, and actually change it. One person at a time, one smile at a time, one moment of joining with joy, one moment of, of bringing some wisdom to a situation, of reflecting every time you see anybody in any situation, anybody acting in any particular way, you know, that person is, is the inheritor of their karmic, their patterns, their habits. And... Uh, and maybe up to this moment, they can't help doing what they're doing. But, but I, can't, I can... So that reminds me, I, I may not be able to help what I've done up to this moment, but I, right now I can plant a seed. And both when I understand that everybody is, is inheriting their, their karma, their, the fruits of their actions, my heart opens, I have a little more equanimity, a little less little less reactivity. I don't, I don't pound, what's the word, pile on to somebody's suffering more than it already is. So we want to bring love, we want to bring joy, we want to bring compassion, and we want to bring equanimity. We want to all be able to sit right in the middle of it, not have to go to sleep, but stay connected. So I think I'm going to end tonight since we I'll end tonight with a 
revisit to the teaching of equanimity from Donald Babcock, first printed in the New Yorker magazine in October of 1947. Donald Babcock's poem, The Little Duck. Now we are ready to look at something pretty special. It is a duck riding the ocean a hundred feet beyond the surf. No, it isn't a gull. A gull always has a raucous touch about him. This is some sort of duck, and he cuddles in the swells. He isn't cold, and he's thinking things over. There's a big heaving in the Atlantic, and he's part of it. He looks a bit like a mandarin or the Lord Buddha meditating under the bow tree, but he has hardly enough above the eyes to be a philosopher. He has poise, however, which is what philosophers must have. He can rest while the Atlantic heaves because he rests in the Atlantic. Probably he doesn't know how large the ocean is, and neither do you, but he realizes it. And what does he do, I ask you? He sits down in it. He reposes in the immediate, as if it were infinity, which it is. That is religion, and the duck has it. He has made himself part of the boundless by easing himself into it just where it touches him. The people of the Middle Ages were more like this duck than we are. They took life as it presented itself and ran it up in spires of Gothic. They crossed few oceans, but they floated on the sea of time. And a cat is more like this duck than we are. We can radio to the moon and get back a pip for an answer, but a cat can make a hearth rug a haven in the infinite or launch four kittens into life in a cracker box by the furnace, purring with pride because she is tuned in on cosmic waves. I like the little duck. He doesn't know much, but he has religion. Again, he reposes in the immediate as if it were infinity, which it is. That's religion, and the duck has it. So, fellow ducks, let's cuddle in the swells for a few moments. Easing ourselves into the boundless, right where it touches us. And if you have any sense in this immediacy of your connection, to all things, to all beings. If that translates in any way to caring about all things and all beings, let's share the blessings of our time together and our best intentions with a prayer and a wish that all beings can have happiness and the causes of happiness increasing 
cause of happiness being virtue. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering, which is non-virtue. May all beings never be separated from the sacred happiness that is sorrowless here and now. And may all beings grow in equanimity, serenity, able to meet the joys and the sorrows with less reactivity. And may our practice today and every day, every moment that we can remember, be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be liberated. May all beings find their place in the family of things, be connected to their community. May all beings find communion. May all beings be free. Stealth metta, stealth compassion, stealth joy, and stealth equanimity all week long. I want to hear about it next week. Anyway, thank you for your presence. Thanks for your practice. Thanks for your generosity. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.